Hello, friends. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Kenton. This is Rewild University's Unleash Your Life podcast. Kenton, what's going on? I thought you were going to do some cleaning before I guess got here. Yeah, I was. Well, you're just sitting here. Well, I'm not just sitting here. I... Oh, you're not just sitting there. Uh-huh. No, I, I'm, well, I'm worrying. You're worrying? Yeah, I'm worrying. Okay, wait, wait, wait. We have guests coming. Your job was to clean while I got some other stuff ready, and you're telling me that you're just going to sit here and worry? Well, I'm sorry. There's a lot to worry about. I mean, we go to Hawaii in just, just a few days, and, well... Our host family, right? They were talking about how it can rain for four weeks straight. Hmm. And how are we going to do that? What if that happens when we get there and we're trying to adjust and it's raining constantly and we can't get outside? And, and, and well, that led me to thinking about, you know how dirty it gets in the yurt because there's all the sand when it rains outside the yurt? And what if it's sandy there? And then That's the exact sand I'm talking have? about cleaning before our guests come. Yeah, but, but well, there's mosquitoes too, and well, they're talking there's about their mosquitoes could be... here. Yeah, that's true. You know, <sighs> it's like you're just storytelling because it might not rain for four weeks. The mosquitoes might not be bad where we are. We we don't know. You you're just. I love you, and I'm grateful Thank that you. you're so honest. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to like make light of anything, but those are just things in your head. Right now, we're just here. And of course, I suppose you could turn it around and say, well, the guests aren't here yet, or they're not going to care if it's dirty or clean because they're our friends. But anyway, here we are right here. Yeah. Yeah. Funny, because I've gotten so good in recent weeks at not doing storytelling, but here I was, storytelling away. Well, it happens all the time. I mean, maybe we should talk about, for people who are listening, what we mean by storytelling. We've been talking about this a lot Ever since we made the decision to move out into the yurt and then to move to Hawaii, we've been talking about storytelling because those are great places where our minds can start to run away. So do you want to tell people what we mean by storytelling? <laughs> storytelling. You and I never had a word for it. We just knew that our minds went off and went into, we I think it, we call it fantasy land. We called it looking at leaves. Looking at leaves. Which yeah. is kind of complicated, but basically <laughs> it's like in the fall when you look at all the leaves and you're like, there's another one and another one and another one and another one. And you just can't see that you don't have to deal with anything except for the one thing. But anyway. One of our first forest monks, Nicolette, she, she really gave us that word, mm, storytelling. Thank you, Nicolette. Thank you. And that is such a clean way to talk about it because it really helps us understand, well, our mind has all kinds of various things it can do. Yes, absolutely. And I think storytelling is something that when I was little, I you kind of raised to think like, okay, think of all the different potentialities and what could happen. And then you're prepared or you can make the most informed decision. 
But in the end, it's just telling a story about something that hasn't happened yet. And really all we're doing is causing stress to our bodies. I mean, I think what our researchers are learning nowadays that a perceived threat, our mind can't tell the difference between a perceived threat and an actual threat. So the stress that you're having from reliving something or from thinking about what might happen is just as real for your body as like, oh my gosh, you almost get you know run over by a car or something right in that moment. So we're kind of doing some damage by just continually telling stories. It isn't actually working in our favor. That's exactly it. Storytelling is this thing we're taught, as you said, to do because we're, we're taught, hey, this is really how you figure out problems, is going over all these different scenarios. But, as you say, not true. Because when we're busy telling those stories, and there's an endless amount of stories you could tell about any given situation, we cause ourselves that stress. We divorce ourselves from the present moment because we're not paying attention to what's actually happening. And we train our brains to not be in the present moment. Then when the actual challenge comes in front of us, we aren't present for that challenge. And we have all kinds of problems. And usually we haven't thought of the correct scenario and solution in all <laughs> life, of our storytelling. Life never gives you what you are prepared for when you think you've got all the bases covered and then it's like, oh, that's right. the one contingency I never thought of. Best laid plans of mice and men. Well, it's so draining energetically too. It is. And, and I have to just jump in yeah. and say, this gets really noticeable when we involve other people. It's one thing if it's just a life scenario. Okay, what happens tomorrow? How do I get from A to B when I know I have a flat tire? But it's different when we have other people and we don't know what they're thinking and we storytell about, I mean, I have done this a million times where you go into this fantasy land storytelling bubble in your head. So-and-so is upset with you. Are they upset with you? Aren't they? Well, what if they say this? Well, then I'd say that. Oh, but then what if they say that to me? Oh, but what if they aren't? Mm -hmm. And then you can't, even when you get to the real situation, as you said, you're checked out. You're not noticing. And they might say something to you, but because you already in your head have a story, you misinterpret it. I mean, it's just so much misinterpretation because we've told stories about what other people are thinking instead of letting them speak for themselves and really hearing them. Yeah. It becomes a self-reinforcing loop because the more that we find, <laughs> oh, isn't this human nature sometimes? The more we find that we didn't think of the correct scenario in all of our storytelling. We think then, well, the storytelling mind jumps in and says, what you need to do is do more oh, storytelling yeah. <laughs> because you didn't do enough. Clearly, last you didn't time. get it right. You didn't think enough. You didn't tell enough stories. Yeah, it's, you know, it's funny. You're right. Human nature is like that. Oftentimes, I see it with kids sometimes. You know, you try something and it doesn't work and they try again and again and again and again. And it's like, at what point do you say, you know what? This is not working. Maybe I should try something different. I think it comes from a culture that teaches more, bigger, better, stronger oh is goodness. always faster, is better. <laughs> so, yeah, more, bigger, stronger is always better. So that is often our default. If something didn't work, we pile on more of it. And often for years and years, we can go without realizing maybe it's actually that the thing I'm trying to do more and more of is not effective yeah. and that is the case with storytelling at least the way storytelling usually happens in our minds i suppose we should kind of talk about the different things our mind is up to 
to get more clarity about exactly what storytelling is. Sure. Are we using an example here? Well, yeah, we're going to break it down because our mind activity can seem overwhelmingly complex. What is my mind doing? And mindfulness training gets us aware of what our mind is up to. But our mind loves to categorize things. And if we can use categories wisely, then we can start to see more clearly what our mind is up to instead of just, wow, they're doing this and this and this. Mm, Feeling sort of at the mercy of it versus realizing that we are sort of piloting and we have the ability to train our brains. Yeah. So we've got storytelling. Okay. We've been speaking about. There's a another activity our mind can be engaged in and that's what you and i call solution-based thinking oh yeah yeah solution-based thinking i really love that um we talk with our girls about that a lot because often there seems to be something that you don't know what you're going to do and then you can see our brain going ah but this but that but if i do that then this and solution-based thinking asks us to just stop say, okay, here's what's in front of me. Look at everything you have. You know, it's using that awareness and then saying, how can I move forward? I mean, I think solution-based thinking is all about movement and maybe you aren't going to quote, solve the problem immediately, but perhaps you can move yourself out of where you are into a different place. And from there, then you can move again to another place that takes you to a solution instead of just staying mired where you are and getting caught up in all these stories. Mm-hmm. And solution-based thinking can use predictive storytelling. So I can look at the situation in front of me and say, well, it's very likely if I do this, this is going to be the outcome. And thus I'm going to choose this. But it doesn't run down the road further than a few steps down the scenario. Because once we go a few steps down a scenario in our imagination, our predictive ability plummets. <laughs> so, <laughs> so solution-based thinking is going to look at the facts in front of us. It's going to use rational thinking or intuit- intuitive thinking, and it is going to approach that problem very directly. I should call it a challenge based on that video we did, <laughs> Problem versus Challenges, way back when. But solution-based thinking also honors a part of our Uh, of our capability of action that storytelling, our storytelling mind tries to tell us doesn't exist. And that is our ability to have a challenge in front of us and to rise up and meet it intelligently right then and there. Mm. Here I'm thinking about going to the airport. My storytelling mind, as we go into the airport, wants to start telling all kinds of stories. Well, what if that larger piece of luggage doesn't fit into the thing? And, I have been thinking about that a little what bit. If that, right. Yeah. Where the solution-based thinking says, when you encounter a situation, mm. you're going to figure out a solution. I love that. That is, what a good feeling. Validating your own power, your own ability to see what's there and make a decision, which is true because how can we make the decision right now? We may get there and it may not be a problem or it may be, okay, this piece of luggage is too big. Well, pay the extra and get it on the plane. And then if I free up, that's the thing. Oh my gosh. 
So if you start to pay attention to telling stories, you'll realize, as I realized, that we do it all the time, like all the time. And when you start to notice, first of all, you get the awareness factor. But then when you aren't doing storytelling all the time and you trust in that innate capability to make a decision right then and there, you have so much more time and energy. I, for a while after we talked about this, I was like, wow, well, what should I do with myself? You know, kind of mentally, because I was used to storytelling all the time with my free time. (laughs) And so then it's like opens up this complete new clean slate of extra space and energy for thinking about other things. Mm -hmm. We just do not often realize how much energy mental processes take up. Nobody teaches us about this. So we end up using up tons of our life energy in mental processes that are not doing us or anybody else any good. Okay, okay, I have an example. So recently, we took our dog, Jembe, um, whom we love and adore. He is not coming with us to Hawaii right now, and we found a fabulous foster home for him. Yay, we've been (laughs) really hoping. And I'm in this situation, oh my gosh, he has got it so good. He gets to play with his litter mate brother, and wonderful, wonderful situation. And I found that after we said goodbye to him, I was sad, of course, and I still miss him. We all still miss him. However, I found myself laying awake at night, and I would be crying because I would think, what is he thinking? Does he think that he wasn't good enough for us? Or is he, you know, what must be going on? We've just abandoned him, etc., etc. And my mind would tell all these stories. And then as well as you and I talked, I started to come to the realization that I'm not sure if animals storytell in the way that humans do. I'm certain that he probably missed us, especially that first night. He probably did wonder, what's going on? I'm in this new weird place. And even though it's fun, where's my people? But I'm pretty sure, well, I don't know. I can't know for sure. Mm -hmm. But I'm guessing he probably wasn't going, oh, I must not be valuable. I must have done something wrong. Or, you know, when will they ever come back? I am not sure that he storytells in the way that I do. And that allowed me to realize I was spending a lot of time and mental anguish wondering and worrying what is he thinking when in reality he might not even be missing me. I mean, he's got, you know, he gets chicken liver in his food and little frozen yogurt cups for puppies and I mean, all this awesome stuff. And so that really helped me to see I don't know what's going on for him and I can take away that energy that's going into, oh, does he feel abandoned? Is he thinking he wasn't good enough? And boy, I realized with the storytelling how much time it took up. I mean, I often mm-hmm. I would get waves and when I, whenever I missed him, I couldn't just miss him and send him love. There would be all of the wondering and the storytelling going on. Yeah, again, there it kind of detracts from the pure feeling of sadness and you start instead putting out all these, again, fantasies. Oh, yeah, because instead of just being sad and feeling that, like, emptiness and all of that, I also felt guilt, and then my mind would jump into, you know, confusion and second-guessing, and boy, it was just not just the pure emotion, as you said, but all these other second and third and fourth hats that got placed on top of that first one. Now, let's try to come back to those hats and talk about it in reference to how storytelling affects relationships but we left behind the mind states 
Okay. And so we had talked about storytelling and we had talked about solution-based thinking. Oh, yes, yes. And we wanted to point out the two other mind states that our mind generally can be engaged in. And one that we're probably all familiar with is being zoned out. Oh, yes. It's the, you were driving someplace and then all of a sudden you're there and you don't remember what happened between leaving your home and getting there. Yeah. <laughs> you're just, well, either you were storytelling or you just weren't paying attention to much of anything. And from our experience with our own mindfulness and with watching forest monks, especially the longer term ones in the woods, I'm pretty convinced that being zoned out is a symptom of our culture where there's so much distraction that essentially our mind gets exhausted and goes into a static. My mean static like you would hear on the radio or see on old-fashioned TVs, just kind of a buzz. Maybe almost a protective measure say. in some ways to buffer from all of the stimulation. Yeah, you notice it's almost like a waking sleep sometimes. Yeah, that's interesting because I feel like being zoned, I mean, you could say when you're storytelling, you're kind of zoned, but that means not paying attention. This kind of zoned is more truly just not taking in anything. So the last one is being present moment aware. Mm. And this is <laughs> arguably the most essential thing that we can develop in life. Uh, in the video, I did a companion video to this. I said, imagine an incredible meal in front of you. Mm. And you're sitting down to that incredible meal with a surrounded by some really good friends and people that you love being with. Present moment awareness means that you eat that food and you taste it. Oh, the textures and the flavors and the smells. And you have wonderful conversation with the people around you while being zoned out, you just eat that food and you look down and the plate is gone. You didn't even notice it happening. For engaged in storytelling, then we're eating that food. And again, our mind is divorced from the experience. We're not having the conversations with the people around us, nor are we experiencing the food. We are off in... Not fully present. In fantasy land, yes. So over and over, using storytelling, being zoned out, even getting a little too active in our solution-based thinking can sometimes, well, <laughs> the other two, storytelling and zoned out for sure, repeatedly pull us out of the direct experience that's available to us. And that is the meat of life. Well, I mean, isn't that all there really truly is? I mean, we can't really, if we're talking about dying, we can't really take anything with us. And so in my mind, when I think about that, I think the best thing I can do is really be here for this moment. Because A, I don't know if I'm going to get another moment, but B, this is all I've got anyway, is right here. <laughs> Wasn't there somebody we were just... Marcus Aurelius. Yeah, yeah, you're reading me the meditations. Yeah, and he speaks about this moment being literally the only thing we can possess in life. It is the only treasure that's actually available to us. Everything else is mind imagination. And yet how often we take that treasure and we ignore it in front of us in favor of going off in our mind and living in that fantasy land. So we no longer experience the foods that we're eating, the people that are around us, whatever's unfolding, the sounds of the wind. Oh, there's so much in every moment that's unfolding, yet we miss it in favor of being off in this fantasy land. We were talking about here the second hat and and you're talking about with Jembe 
it really applies to relationships. I often think about how we can live with somebody our whole life and yet never really, we can say we love them, but we never really love them or even know them because we're so busy telling stories about them in our minds that the only quote person we know is the person that we've created in our mind, the wow. image of that person. Yeah. I want to briefly clarify what we mean by first and second hats. Um, there's a video about this as well that maybe we can link to, but basically we have an initial emotion. Um, let's say sadness in like in Jembe's case, I was sad. That was my first hat that I put on. And then instead of just being there with that, the storytelling mind starts putting on a second hat, which is like guilt and the third hat, which is confusion and second guessing. And so instead of just being able to have that first emotion and you mentioned with a partner, we do that all the time. Mm -hmm. We can't just love and experience the love we feel. We often have the storytelling about, Oh, well, you know, will I be with them forever? Or are they feeling the same way about me? And instead of just expressing that feeling, which often, boy, when you feel somebody just expressing their true feelings, oh, you can tell it shines through. But a lot of times we're with people and you can tell they want to be one way, but you can see we're smart people. I mean, human beings can really read each other. You can tell. I'm, I'm wondering, I'm pretty sure most of you have been in that situation where you know somebody wants to do or say something different, or you can tell maybe they're uncomfortable with something and yet they hide it behind a second emotion. <laughs> don't you think yeah. you're like oh no that person is very uncomfortable here but look they're pretending to be all happy and wonderful and it's like we do that all the time and i think when we're talking about marcus aurelius saying the present moment is the one treasure that we have then we need to condense back down we need to take off the second hat and the third hat and come back to just being our authentic self just being present and letting what we're feeling and experiencing in that moment to come present and be work through us. It, it comes back to this idea that storytelling essentially is trying to divorce us from reality, from the experience that we're having. And you, what you're outlining there with the multiple hats, it's just another strategy that it uses to do that. Mm, yeah, well, okay, so I have to be that person who is like, is storytelling all bad? Because how do I... I mean, I need to live in the world too. I need to be able to, for example, we're going to leave in about a week or so. I got to have our luggage packed. I'm going to have to do some kind of storytelling. Like probably I'll go swimming. So probably I should pack a bathing suit. So what, <laughs> you know, what's the deal with that? Is storytelling all bad? The storytelling basically pins everything on saying, I have predictive power. And it's a very, very useful skill to have predictive power about what a, quote, future, present mm -hmm. moment is going to look like. The problem with storytelling is that it takes things to such extremes. And for a large number of us, it leads us into anxiety and worry mm. and stress because we start running down so many storytelling paths. As you mentioned, every one of those paths we go down, often negative scenarios. Yes becomes in our minds an actual threat that throws us into stress, our sympathetic nervous stress, system. Stress, stress. Yes. And then storytelling becomes a direct avenue, a direct 
creator of anxiety and worry and stress in our systems. But in its essence, is storytelling bad? When we strip it down to being a predictive type of mental activity? No. And there are positive ways to storytell. The reason we don't usually mention that to people at first is because storytelling for most of us manifests in those negative mm. ways. But solution-based thinking, if you look at it carefully, is actually a type of storytelling, even though when I talk to people, I usually say solution-based thinking is the opposite of storytelling, but it's a it's a form or a derivative so of storytelling. Storytelling is just a tool. It's a tool, basically, and it's how we use the tool. Do we use it to go down storytelling lanes, or do we use it for solution-based thinking to move forward into positive action? We used to use the analogy of a Phillips head screwdriver. And it's a very useful tool for some situations. But if we start taking that Phillips head screwdriver and we try to use it as a spoon to eat soup <laughs> and we try to use it as a oh, hairbrush. Yeah. Could work for some people. Toilet paper. Oh, toilet or, paper. <laughs> it is not going to be very effective. It's a specialized tool. And storytelling is the same way. It's a specialized tool that has gone so overboard in our cultural training that it says, use me for everything. Uh, true. Well, and what about, so there's something that I like to do called mana gardening. And that's where I go in my mind. And it's a creative visualization process where I put myself into a positive situation or I just see myself in a place for me. It's a, you know, it's a beautiful space, hence the garden, but a, a place that I feel really safe, really happy. And I imagine myself there. Now that's a type of storytelling too. Absolutely. That is the epitome of a positive form of storytelling. Really, if you look at it, any of our kind of active type meditations where we are meditating on a visualization of some kind, those are all really positive uses. And you can tell the difference between when you are in a positive use of storytelling and a negative use because A, a positive use is going to be conscious. You sit down to do the mana gardening or stand up or whatever, but you consciously engage in it. It also is not stressful. It is the opposite of stressful. Yes. It's very peaceful, very relaxing. I'm often smiling. So if you find yourself, oh, I'm off in storytelling land, you can be pretty much sure that you're in default storytelling, the kind that leads you down these paths of anxiety. Okay, well, well I have a question though, because can't you also use quote, positive storytelling as a negative? Like I'm thinking sometimes when you think, oh, I know this is going to go great. And in your head, you paint this picture of everything perfect. When then in reality, you're kind of, I don't want to say you're lying to yourself, but your predictive powers are wrong in the positive. You know what I'm talking about? When we get so excited, oh, I'm going to get paid tomorrow. So I'm going to go spend my money and do this. And it's going to be awesome. And then, oh, okay, wait, we're not getting paid. And I've already spent the money. And do you know what I'm saying? The negative positive. A great, yeah, a great pitfall is we try to use storytelling in a positive way. And we have to really use wisdom and rationality in making sure that that storytelling is is used in a moderate way that's going to take us into positive land. So if it's a tool and we can often use it quite often for the wrong thing, what we need to do is start to have awareness of it. We need to recognize this. 
like when you're eating from the M&M bowl <laughs> and you're like, oh, I'm pretty sure that I was only having a few handfuls, but look, the whole bowl is gone. What you're hitting on here is the recognition that because it's become a habitual default mechanism, we don't even notice when we're storytelling. Mm. It's become so normal and we justify it. And we have to talk about how the storytelling mind is going to be very convincing about how important it is. Oh, of course it is. <laughs> that we're not even able to recognize it. Like those M&Ms, if I have a junk food diet, I eat the M&Ms, it's just going to feel normal. Yeah. Oh, it's popcorn at a movie. You're watching the story. You don't even know it. Don't even notice Can't it. tell what's going on. Yeah. Now, if I have a very healthy diet, I've gone and I've become extremely healthy in what I eat. Mm. Then I put the M&Ms into my mouth and I'm going to feel what it does to my body. It's going to have a very negative feeling to me. Okay. And that is what we have to have happen with our mindfulness. At first, we're on a junk food mindfulness diet, a mindless diet. <laughs> so more mindlessness just tastes normal. It's it all the same. Normal. We embark on a deeper mindfulness kind of diet. <laughs> and talking about, of course, not what we eat, but what our mind is engaged in. Yes. Then storytelling comes in. It's eminently recognizable. It's right there and we feel it. And that's what we want to help guide you towards here is how you can start to yeah, feel it. That's my question. How do we get to a place where we notice that it's happening? Because as we said before, the storytelling mind is super convincing too. It is like that junk food diet. Well, you know, you've been storytelling. One more piece of cheesecake isn't going to hurt. In fact, you should probably have it now because you're going to start your diet tomorrow, right? I mean, that storytelling mind is super convincing. We, with the storytelling mind, we must recognize how powerfully convincing it is. It is going to actively be telling you from our cultural training that the thing it's thinking about is the most important thing that you can give your attention to right now. Yeah, you better be thinking about that piece of luggage at the airport. And you better have every scenario lined up so that you can not be stuck there with a whole line of people behind you getting upset at you. You know, we'll use storytelling to convince you of that. Or else, the people in back of you are going to be all upset. The people that you're dealing with in the behind the counter are going to be upset with you. You're going to miss your plane. Everything's going to fall apart. So you better tell stories. Better tell stories. Mm -hmm. And if we want to get in touch with our storytelling mind, it is vital that we understand this, that the storytelling mind has many, many methods, all storytelling based, mm -hmm. <laughs> to convince us that it is so important. When we start to try to transform our mind away from it, it is going to fight so Ooh, hard. It's going to be like a little two-year-old temper tantrum Ooh. times 10. So what do we do? We notice it. We, we say, it. hey, I'm storytelling, which is the first thing it doesn't like. <laughs> no, you're not. This is really important. This isn't storytelling. This is necessary. That's why I think for me it helped to talk to the storytelling mind in a loving way. Mm. It's like it has an ego. So it's like a person. If you say... Hey, Fred, you are biting your nails again. They're gonna, there's going to be an ego defense mm. coming up. If you can draw their attention to it in a positive way, then you circumvent that ego defense. And we need to do that with the storytelling mind. So I find it very effective to say, oh, hi, storytelling mind. Here you are. I love you. And I know 
that you are here really trying to help me out because you've been with me for decades and you have been really trying your best to help out. But I understand now that the methods you're using are not very effective. And would you like to transform with me? Because of course, there's actually not a storytelling mind, it's a separate <laughs> entity inside of us. I'm talking it's about a, multiple personalities yeah, here. <laughs> it's, it's just something our mind is doing. But if we can take that part of our mind and we can welcome it in and mm. say, you're not bad, Let's transform. Sure, together. because if we fight against it, I can see that then it's going to fight back. It's again kind of like a diet when you say, oh, "I'm not going to have anything, and I'm not going to touch anything," and then all of a sudden, boom, you're you're binge eating you know, a whole chocolate cake. So yeah, I like that being gentle and loving. So then, once you've got that, then then what are you doing? We kind of have a touchstone. You want to talk about that? Well, we also have to remember that where we see it is not so important because it can become very frustrating that first step if we continually find that oh i didn't catch myself until i was way down the storytelling oh, so path. you're saying it doesn't matter at what point you catch yourself storytelling it doesn't have to be the beginning of the storytelling no. you could have been storytelling for a few days and then go oh guess what i'm storytelling so there's no right or wrong time to discover this no naturally as we bring our awareness to it, that time is going to become shorter and shorter. So at first, we might just be catching it three days down the pathway. We've been in anxiety for three days about this. By then, it's pretty tough to get out of it, but we still can. But over time, we're going to learn to back it up and back it up until we're going to get to the origin of that. Mm. And eventually, give yourself five or ten years to get this. Eventually, you're going to notice the storytelling as soon as you pick up that M&M, mm. even before it goes into your mouth. Just as the storytelling begins to initiate, you're going to feel it happening and you're going to notice it. Don't expect that out of yourself at first and give yourself a break. Any place that you notice it is the right place. Oh, yeah. Just the simple act of noticing, hey, I'm storytelling, strengthens you. Then, as you said, we need a touchstone. So after the noticing comes an action. Oh, I love action because to me that's just movement is so important. Mm -hmm. So what is it for you? So for me, it is bhakti <laughs> or love. And as some of you may know, I conceptualize the ultimate or God or whatever you want to call it. I wrap a picture around it, a story around mm -hmm. it that I call Divine Mother. And I do not pretend that that story encapsulates or limits the ultimate in any way, but it's something my little mind can grasp onto. And so what I do is I just feel love for Divine Mother. Mm. And in my mind, Divine Mother is also everything around me. So that love then spreads out to everything around me in a very natural pathway. But I have to just do that every single time. Mm. I notice myself and I come immediately to my touchstone as soon as I notice it, the storytelling, and go right into that love state. I close my eyes, I put a smile on my, my face because we know that just initiating those smile muscles is going to release some positive chemicals in my brain and I go into a positive emotional state. The touchstone must be a positive emotional state. Mm. See, so I use gratitude. 
Mm-hmm. When I'm storytelling, I stop and I realize, oh, you're telling stories about stuff you don't know is true. What do you know to be true? And I try to look around myself and I go, what am I grateful for right now that's right you know, within my present moment. And it might be my kids who are laughing. It might be the fact that I feel really good and strong at the moment. I just finished some yoga and I can feel my body. Or it might be the tea that I'm drinking. But I try to come into what's right around me and what I'm grateful for. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. And gratitude is perhaps just one of the best touchstones that we can have. It's available to anybody. It works for a religious mind for a rational mind what a lovely lovely touch so so obviously we've got that but then the point of it is never give up (laughs) (laughs) must do all the time i call it being relentless we are given this message in our culture that the important things are for instance investing in stocks or other things so that we can have enough money for our retirement. So we think of all these things that we're gonna invest in. We're gonna get lots of likes on our Facebook page or on our Instagram thingy. We are going to get lots of money, good properties, nice car. These are the things that bring happiness. Those things bring only a tiny sliver or fraction of the joy and aliveness we will feel if we can transform our storytelling mind. If there's one thing we should be investing in, in our lives, it's not that money. It is transforming the storytelling mind. That Mm -hmm. is so powerful. So I just call it being relentless. Get on it and realize this is maybe the most important thing you can do. It's going to change all of your relationships. It's going to change how you feel in every moment. It basically changes how you see the world. In such a powerful way. So apply ourselves and don't let storytelling go anymore. Right today, start being 100% with it. Again, it doesn't matter if you catch it three days later, you still can be 100% by stopping as soon as you notice it and moving to a new state of mind, preferably into that positive, open, present moment awareness. Well, speaking about positive and about gratitude, I think that we should take a quick moment here and just say thank you to all of you who support us in all the various different ways. We are fueled by you. You literally power us and our actions and all the various different projects that we're able to do and to share with the world. We literally could not be doing our Hawaii project without the income that everyone who's supporting us financially has enabled in our lives through Patreon and PayPal. So we are feeling so much gratitude as we head off to Hawaii here for all of you who have made that possible for us. And we are going to be gifting it back with more podcasts and more videos. Well, and a huge shout out too to those of you that have written us and tried to help us make connections, share with us your stories about Hawaii and your tips and ideas and try to connect us with people over there. Thank you. Thank you so much. Mahalo. (laughs) Okay, it's time for you to unleash your life. Yes. Action point number one. Partner up. Hey, partner. (laughs) This you have to be super careful about. It can be your most powerful tool. It can work really well or... It can just drive a relationship into (laughs) 
<laughs> you can get really frustrated because our egos, of course, can get a little bruised doing this. So you have to really commit to wanting this. And when your partner, whoever it is, it doesn't have to be your actual partner. It could be your sister. It could be your child. It could be a coworker or a friend. You guys say to each other, hey, help me realize I'm storytelling. And then one of you says, oh, hey, Kenton, you mentioned to me you want me to help you with the storytelling. I wanted to ask you, do you think this is a place where you're storytelling? Do you notice what she just did there? She could have said, na 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 na, you're storytelling again, <laughs> loser. <laughs> loser. <laughs> and that, unless I have really, really like no ego or secure ego, would drive me into defense mode. But she phrased it as a question that I could answer myself and had a really gentle approach. If you're going to try this with somebody, it really <laughs> use her methods here because it's going to make all the difference unless, again, you are just a Jedi ninja. You have no ego. Well, and... yeah, but once you're there, you're probably not storytelling that much anyway. Yeah, that's true. So <laughs> good point. So the point is... Find a partner that you know really wants to do this with you, where you can be excited and where not only you can ask each other, hey, is this a place where you're storytelling? And they can ask you and you can go, oh, you know what? I am. Thank you. And then you could talk together. Okay, let's do our touchstone. But you could also continue to have deeper conversations about how your journey of dealing with your storytelling of noticing it is transforming for you. It's fun to have that other person where you can say, wow, since we started this last week, I've noticed all these changes in your you know, partner. You can be like, oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> so find somebody that you can really, really kind of go monk with is what I say. Someone who you can imagine you're two monks at a monastery and this is your lesson. The master has said, must figure out the storytelling thing <laughs> and, and have some fun with it. So number two is to have some kind of a marker for when you notice that you are in storytelling mode. Okay, what do you mean by that? Like an indication that you're doing it? Yeah, so something that's going to sharply pull you out of the moment. A classic one is a rubber band. Oh, I thought you were going to say a slap on the face. <laughs> so tell your partner. <laughs> Just slap me on the face when I'm storytelling. You wear a rubber band around your wrist. When you notice your storytelling, you give yourself a little Ooh, snap. This is a little Pavlovian. Yes, and it stops you. Oh. It's combined with the sensation, and then for most of us, it's much easier to stop, bring awareness to the situation. Otherwise, the storytelling mind is oh, going to go, it's so oh, insidious. yeah, you noticed me good. Okay, but, you know, did you think of this and this and this? Yeah. And then pretty soon you're down storytelling yeah. road again. So tricksy. So you use that rubber band or whatever other marker that you might pick that's going to sharply call you out you notice the storytelling then you just go down that path go to your touchstone and be relentless don't let yourself slip through the cracks absolutely okay action point number three positive storytelling this is something to play with you mentioned mana gardening get that book yeah we'll put a link to it fabulous if you get an opportunity it opens up so many possibilities the method of positive storytelling and recognizing that Storytelling is, well, it's making me think of a study. Okay. Oh, you and your studies. I love it. Okay. Tell me the study. This was a study on placebo sleep. Ooh, placebo sleep. It sounds like very <laughs> relaxing. Yeah. Placebo sleep, man. This is a journal of experimental psychology, and it was uh, done at Colorado College. This experiment 
it, it's fascinating. You might want to look it up how they laid it out. But in short, what it seemed to be showing is that if I tell a, if I believe a positive story mm. about how much sleep I got or how good of sleep I got, then I will behave and act as if I got better sleep. So our minds will do what we tell them stories about. So, for example, you're saying here, doesn't matter what kind of sleep the people in the study got if they told themselves in the morning. Is that kind of how it worked? Well, sleep still does matter. Well, it's of course. vital to get a good night's sleep. <laughs> it's, yeah, you can't go on the fumes of happy storytelling. But, but the takeaway for me is if you wake up in the morning and you've had kind of a moderate night of sleep, if you wake up and you go, oh, oh, I had such a crappy sleep, your body and mind for the rest of the day will believe that story and will act as if you had a really crappy night of sleep. Mm, grumpiness. Yeah. I sense grumpiness. <laughs> if you wake up in the morning and you say, oh, what an amazing deep night of sleep I had. It was wonderful. I feel so restored that your mind will believe that and you will tend to behave mentally and emotionally and physically as if you got a really good night's sleep. So there is a power in the stories we tell ourselves. And this is where for some people, things like visualization can mm. be very effective. But here we're showing with science that the message I give to myself is quite important. And so tell stories purposefully and consciously that are positive. Yeah, I am a joyful things. and loving person. And I cannot wait to go out today and share that love with others. Yeah. And this, you know, the visualization doesn't work for everybody. You look in a mirror and you say, I am a joyful, loving person. In a way, you're also saying, I am not a joyful, loving person because <laughs> yeah. I have to stand in a mirror and say, I'm a joyful, <laughs> loving person. But if you can accomplish this in a you know, smile when you say it and have a real positive way of uh, expressing that to yourself, it's just confident and loose and easy, then that tends to work really well. So it's a basic thing, and maybe we can leave it here, but this reminds me of something my mom would do when I was younger. I would get up in the morning, and I'd be like, oh, I, just, I don't feel good. I'm not sure. Should I go to school? And she would say, well why don't you just pretend you feel good? And once you get dressed and brush your hair and brush your teeth, wash your face and just act like you feel good and see how you feel after that. And honestly, huh. almost 99 out of 100 times, it was like, oh, well, I'm a human being again. Wow. And I just felt like, yeah, okay, I feel good. <laughs> and so yeah. think positively. Wow. Big love to everybody out there. Yeah, our love to all of you. And I think that we still have guests that I know of. Ooh. So since they're going to be here really shortly, perhaps we just do a quick sprucing. That'll be solution-based thinking. And then we'll be set. Good idea. Okay. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go.